Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Hello, everyone. We are here today with an incredible talk episode that we recorded pre COVID-19, when I was still in New York doing a play, Rob flew over and we had this amazing artist come talk to us. But we held on to the episode because it was, there was a, to coincide with a show that is currently postponed at the Barbican uh, Museum, the Curve space there. But we're going to talk to the artist today because in the interim, during lockdown, some exciting things have been happening. And yeah, we'd like to talk to Toyin Oji Odatola. Hi, Toyin. Hello. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> Hi. Where do we find Having you, Toyin? Yes. Uh, you find Is... me in my Brooklyn apartment, right mm-hmm. next to a Windows, and it's a very particularly busy Sunday, strangely mm. enough. A lot of people yes. about. So if you hear some things in the background, <laughs> that's <laughs> what's happening. <laughs> well, there's crazy stuff happening in Brooklyn. Well, all over the world right now. Like I've been in Trafalgar yeah. Square today for uh, protests, mm. sorry. And that's all happening in New York and Brooklyn, especially there's been quite uh, a lot of, of action. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I've been very much staying at home throughout all of this and including the recent developments with the protests. Um, it's a really tough time, you know, um, not just, you know, obviously in Minneapolis, but around the country. And a lot of people have just reached their boiling point, understandably so. And it's just like a moment of just like, we have been dealing with how society values us, not only pre-COVID-19 lockdown, but during the lockdown. I mean, as you guys may or may not already know, it's disproportionately affects minority communities, particularly African-Americans, indigenous people, Latinx people, and also people of the LGBTQ plus community. And it just hasn't been addressed. And then just this past week, as, as again, you may or may not know, there's been just a string of horrific events that have happened to just sort of heighten that reality and, and make it known to the world. Um, through the documentation of, you know, uh, so many things that have happened, for instance, the Central Park incident and most recently with George Floyd. And I mean, I, as an artist, I've always felt like I have to, especially with regards to African-American issues in particular, I've always felt that I should be involved and educate myself. But also I'm very aware that people's voices 
who are most affected by this should be heard. You know, I don't want to speak over the people who are really truly affected by this issue daily. Um, you know, I'm a Nigerian American. I came here as a young kid. And so essentially I did grow up, you know, again, as a black person in America, but I also am coming from a place where I'm always willing to learn. I'm always willing to be quiet and let someone else speak and to also support them and to give voice and whatever platform I have to engage with people who may, may not know about this reality and to educate them as well. But there comes a point, at least for me this week, and I sense it with a lot of my friends who are in a similar situation, that there's just a lot of exhaustion um, and a lot of anger um, and numbness, really. And it just boils down to just again, the current situation with COVID-19 and then also just the fact that, you know, a lot of people feel powerless and, and again, just very angry. And I understand why people are going to the streets, you know, not just in the U.S., but around the world um, yeah. saying this is enough is enough, you know, no justice, no peace. And, you know, with all of the responses that people have had and the sort of criticisms that people have had to protest, which, to be frank, has not been new. I mean, protest isn't meant to be nice. <laughs> I mean, it's very funny when people have a lot of, um, you know, how do I even put this? Like, uh, they, they tend to say like, oh, how dare they loot this or, you know, burn this building. It's like, you have to understand these people are constantly being looted by their lives. They've yeah. been attacked by their lives. And so the looting of a building, the burning of a building is nothing in comparison to entire communities that have been affected daily um, by society where they feel that they, not just they feel, they know that they are not seen as human beings and their humanity has been constantly with, you know, not to be uh, graphic, but it's just like that, you know, a knee to a neck. That is, that is the life. That is the life of a lot of minorities in this country. And if you don't know, if you're uncomfortable, you're going to know, you know, and that's just how everyone's feeling right now. Yeah, yeah, I think it's a time for everyone to um, to really read educate as much as they can and educate themselves. Mm. And we've all been doing that ourselves. Like all I've done for the whole you know last week basically is just read because yeah you know we have to understand. And I, I thought I already knew quite a lot, but I've I've learned loads in the last week. You know, mm. and and I think we have to inspire other people to do that too. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I like I said I. I also am learning. I mean, I, that's the thing. It's like everyone thinks that there's no there's no way to engage. You know, some people think, well, oh, you know, I'm just, for instance, someone might say, oh, I'm just a white person. I can't engage. And you're like, no, you can by educating fellow, you know, people in your community who exactly. may not understand and take a lot of that weight of explaining our humanity from black folks to white folks, you can be that bridge for those people. We don't have to constantly have to explain. You can do that, you know, um, mm -hmm. and do it in a language that, you know, your people can understand, you know, like it's, it's tough enough that I have to, or just so many of us have to say, I'm a human being. Do you understand that? Like I'm a person um, and just have that fall on deaf air, ears, you know, mm -hmm. not just with, you know, with our current present zeitgeist but generationally you know like it's yeah. this is something that's been going on not just in this country but around the globe you know people are just not understanding and not listening one of my friends said something to me a few months ago that I always keep close to my heart where she said love isn't about saying I love you all the time it's about saying I understand you 
And I think that's what people really need to do. They need to learn to understand and stop trying to get defensive, start trying to make it about an individual issue. This is a systemic issue and it affects people disproportionately. And you need to understand that. You know, that's the key. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Well, when we spoke to you before, which was before COVID, we, we were talking about a show which I said in the intro was uh, is currently hung and ready to be seen at the Barbican yeah. Curve Space here in London. So we were the interview you, everyone's about to hear is about your process and building up to that. So how are you dealing with the, that, the knowledge now that that show is there and nobody's able to see it? And what have you done in the interim? Mm, I mean, as you know, when... Prior to lockdown, I was incredibly excited to unveil this this series, which is comprised of 40 uh, new drawings made specifically for the Curve Commission, which was my very first uh, solo exhibition in the UK. And, you know, I just was just really excited to see another side of my process and the way that I, you know, kind of work. And since then, of course, it's been on hold. Um, and I just... You know, it's there. It's like I, I've kind of made my peace with it. I had a moment, but then now I'm like, it's, it's there. You know, when the time will come when everything's safe and people can, you know, engage with that work, I'm I'm looking forward to that. I'm very excited about that. But do in the know, meantime... Do, has anyone said anything about, like, when they think that would be or when people will be able to, like, see the work? Mm, it's kind of up in the air because, obviously, there's a lot of government... Uh, intervention that is kind of in between this so Mm -hmm. it's kind of beyond our hands right we have to wait until the uk government deems it um okay essentially to reopen a lot of these uh, cultural institutions in a way that is again safe for the public to to go out and to engage um until then we really don't know i mean right now our projections are either (laughs) uh the summer or the fall of this year um And so, like, like I wish I could give people a definite answer, but it's it's really, like I said, it's, it's predicated on things that are beyond our control. And obviously, safety is of the utmost importance. And when that is established and when that is made known to to not just us, but everyone, then we can start making, you know, the proper moves to to open up again. But it's 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 really strange. I mean, it's it's there's a moment where I feel like the world needs culture right now. They need it yep. yeah. so desperately. But then there's also a part of me that's like, maybe we do need a pause and we need to sort of read the room and understand that people are dying and this is still going on. There's no sign of a vaccine. And even if there were, there's going to be a lot of things in place when that vaccine does become known and is available to people and how it's available to people. So, you know, for me, I, yeah, I'm sure there's like, I'm human being, I'm frustrated, but also I'm, I'm trying to just keep my perspective with everything and just try to be as positive as I can and sure. yeah, just not sure. get too caught up in it. Yeah. And one of the things you've done during lockdown is actually to make um, smaller works. Is that correct? Yes. I, it was basically my way of dealing. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I've always been someone who in order to draw, I, I draw in order to understand. Um, mm-hmm. That's always been my thing. And so this past, I guess now it's been three months. Um, I've just been drawing these small little stories. I call them stories because, you know, they're that's what they were. And they all kind of came out of nowhere. It was just, 
I don't know how else to describe them other than <laughs> these random things that I needed to draw to kind of have my mind preoccupied with something that wasn't death yeah. and yeah. also uh to to understand this this situation in my own way and from then it just sort of became this this show now a, a series um that I've titled tell me a story I don't care if it's true and um it's a series of now I think it's 22 works mm-hmm. um and uh yeah it just I'm really nervous about it, but on the one hand, I'm, I feel that it, it needs to be shown because it represents what I hope to be what, what I'm hearing a lot of people are feeling. A lot of people, at least in the U.S., are feeling and just being an artist of color in this time, you know, during this epidemic, this is sort of my way of saying or contributing to a larger narrative that everyone is sort of dealing with right now. So... Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's kind of how it all came about. I mean, I always draw, like I said, to understand, but this is my way of understanding this time now. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And this is a show for everyone because this is going online, right? Exactly. Yeah, it's an online exhibition with Jack Shaman, and it's going live this following week. So it's really exciting, really. And yeah, people can access really that exciting. through the Jack Shaman Gallery website or? Mm-hmm. It'll be available through the website and um, yeah, it's uh, it's all there and you can see detail shots and you'll see the work um, as it is framed and then of course details of the text uh, that I wrote alongside the images that I drew. Um, this is something that's relatively new to me as well. I, I'm very nervous about showing my writing to people, um, but it felt like that was what was needed for me at least. Um, mm to have the text and the image be in tandem and to create a narrative from that. Um, some oh, of the images. This will be online from Tuesday. Is that right? The 2nd of June? Yeah. Right now the projection is Tuesday. We had originally planned for Monday, but as you know, with everything is kind of, you know, with the internet and access, you know, we have to make yeah. sure everything is just right. So right now it's set for Tuesday for sure. Great. And you're working alongside a charity with this, right? For the show? Yes. One of the things that I was so excited about was that the proceeds, 10% of the uh, gross uh, of the sales from uh, this online exhibition will go to two organizations that I'm really, really glad that we're able to work with. And I've been huge admirers of and supporters of, which is the Moms for Housing, which is located in the Bay Area in, in California. Um, and you can you can look them up. They're an amazing organization that are just fighting a lot of the gentrification um, problems that are happening right now and how it's really affecting communities, entire communities um, that need help, that need housing. I mean, we talk about shelter in place right now. I mean, what happens when you don't have a home? And that's that's a real issue right now. And so that was something I really wanted to support. And then the other one is sort of an umbrella organization or collective um, through the Navajo Relief Fund, Navajo Nation Relief Fund, um, which is specifically uh, supporting indigenous communities that are affected by COVID-19 right now. A lot of people aren't discussing how this is affecting a lot of the reservations and a lot of the First Nations in the U.S. who are affected disproportionately by the virus and how they have little resources and access in a lot of these places and any help we can, um, you know, 
to donate and to help in this relief uh, fund mm-hmm. was something that I really wanted to do as well. So, so we're splitting the the sales between those two uh, organizations and collectives. Very generous, Twain. That's because you're a generous, lovely person. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I'm trying. And also, also, I think it's really generous of you to share so quickly this new um, body of work, and I, I'm yeah. so excited to see it. And, um, you know, I really believe strongly that culture and art in this time can bring people hope and inspiration and strength mm. and um, solidarity as well. And, you know, um, and also I want everyone in America to know that we're with them um, in the UK because it's a mm. really terrible time yeah. at the moment, and we are all one, really. Yes. 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 Toyin, do you want to introduce your episode of Talk Art? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> How do I introduce <laughs> it? Um, I guess uh, this was a wonderful discussion that the three of us had in January, I believe, of mm-hmm. this year. It was a wonderful, beautiful moment, and I'm so glad to share it with you all. I hope you enjoy it. I had a beautiful time, and I hope you will too. Good afternoon, good morning, good evening, wherever you are in the world. I'm Russell Tovey. And I'm Robert Diamond. And this is Talk Art. Welcome to Talk Art. How are you, Rob? I am... A, living the dream because I'm in New York, which yeah. is like one of my favourite places With to me. Be. Well, it's actually not because I'm with you. Oh. It's because today we have a very special guest whose work has had such a big impact on your world yeah. because you actually live with her work. Yeah. But also you got me so hooked on her work to the mm-hmm. point where I was like looking at every image, following every Instagram post. I got completely crazily obsessed. Mm-hmm. And It's to- not like you. No, it's not like <laughs> you, is it? And today I'm feeling, you know how I'm feeling? I'm feeling splendid. And uh, expensive looking. In other words, sumptuous, which um, <laughs> could be a way to describe our guests' paintings. Yes. Oh, sorry, not paintings, artworks. Yes. I keep calling them paintings and I realise they're not paintings. No. That's what's so special about this work. Um, and uh, our, the artist we're meeting today works predominantly with... Uh, pastels and charcoal and pencil and always on paper yes so even though you might look at them the well first... always on paper but now on to linen yeah onto linen which is a big mm-hmm. change big change sounds very sumptuous so um <laughs> yeah and also um that's the thing it's almost like when you first see them you might think you talk, your, your brain thinks they're paintings yeah so when i come to your house and i look at the one that's hanging on you know in, yep. in that room i'm like oh you've got a beautiful painting but then the more you look at them that's the special magic yeah. because it's not what you first think mm-hmm. so um we would like to welcome to talk art Toyin thanks for having me of course <laughs> i'm well, so I, excited i've just got to start off and say that i am your biggest fan oh. i am so into your work i'm so incredibly moved by your work i discovered your work at the whitney do they call that the project room at the front what is that room called i think it's emerging artists kind of like exhibition space. It's like a specific space for emerging artists to show there. Because so. it's the only room you don't have to pay. It's free. I right. don't think people are aware of that and people don't sometimes pass it by without exactly. realising. But it's an incredible room that if you are passing by the Whitney, if you're not going to get in the line and go in the whole rest of the museum, you can go in this room at the front mm-hmm. and see incredible shows. And that's where I saw your show and I was there on the opening night and I met your gallerist, Jack Shaneman. And yeah. it was... It just, it just changed something. It altered something in me and oh, your work. Wow. And I think it's... We, we talk about it, but I think it's it's the the narrative you set up, what what you've mm. established, and the fact that it's it's celebrating uh, a gay partnership exactly. fundamentally. Mm-hmm. And for me, 
connecting to that story and then the estuaries that come off from love. Yeah. It's a love story, basically. Yeah, absolutely. What your work is built on. And for me, I find it incredibly moving as a narrative, but just also your talent is exceptional. Oh, thank you so much. I'm so nervous, I have to say it. I'm shaking a little bit in my boots. But that is so sweet for you to say. That show really changed everything for my career. And I remember even when I was proposing it, it had shown in a museum in San Francisco, the Museum of African Diaspora. And I remember when they were asking me, like, what is this story about? I was like, well, it's two gay men that fell in love and thus their families came together. So the whole reason for this exhibition is because of their love. And I remember describing it to them. And they were like, this is perfect for San Francisco. And, um, and I never would have thought it would extend the way it did to the Whitney, to... So the show that was at the Whitney was the exact same show that was... Oh, no, it was like the next chapter. Right. Exactly. So, but when I started it, I really was not thinking it was going to become what it became because it ended up being four exhibitions mm -hmm. in total over mm -hmm. the span of about three years. And so it was really intense, but it, it, I learned so much about storytelling through mm -hmm. it, and I learned so much about how to create an experience for the viewer coming into a space. And so the wall paint was a part of it. Yeah. The way that the works kind of were installed and how you meandered through it was like meandering through the pages of a book or something. And I always wanted to be at the heart of it that their love is the reason we're here. Like, you, you can't just go into it thinking they're just an anecdote in this larger tale. Like, we wouldn't see these two families at all if these two men hadn't decided to come together. And Russell actually took me to the exhibition in New York um, when it, just after it opened. I think he was here a bit before and he went to the opening. I think I went in about seven times. Yeah. Oh, really? <laughs> really? He took, I just loads, went, of, he took loads of friends, I know. Loads I remember of friends. All our friends oh, went to see so it. That's so great. And even people that weren't necessarily even into art, he would take them. Like, he was trying to take everybody to <laughs> see your show. And we had actually met you at a dinner, right. I think in about 2016, oh, maybe. Oh, gosh. When, what? And yeah, it was, it was like there, Stanley yeah. Whitney, Marina um, Adams... Uh, Lynette was there. Was, that was Lynette, the reason Lynette. I was there. Was there yeah. Lynette, Yadon Boachi, um, and it was at our friend Laurie's house and in London. No, and it was at a restaurant. It was Jimmy. No, it wasn't. No, it was at her house. You always say that and you're wrong. Because I think you came a little bit later. Oh, I came to that bit yeah. and I wasn't at the house then. Yeah. Mm. Okay. No, you were at the house. We didn't go to a restaurant. I was going to say, I thought we, it was at someone's house. It was at Laurie's house in, in West West London. And your memory of it is really Yes, weird. but there was another thing. There was something after that. We went to another meal somewhere. No, oh, y'all were just, been... like, hopping around. <laughs> I think, no, 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 that isn't what happened. I think you, you turned up late, so I don't oh, okay. know. Anyway. It's anyway. I'll cut yes. that bit out, because who cares? <laughs> anyway, so we met in a social situation with other great artists. Exactly. And I didn't know anything about your work at the time. Mm. And you seemed quite, like, um, not shy, but you Ratchet. were, like... <laughs> <laughs> exactly, that was the word. Um, <laughs> I love that. Um, no, but you seemed quite, like, shy. And because there were people like Stanley Whitney there, who's obviously a great of... of contemporary art yeah. and like has been making work for like decades and decades yeah. and decades and has, has really stuck to his vision I feel like you were like a younger artist like a new voice yeah. and you were kind of very respectful to these older artists who were there kind of thing if you know what I mean yeah. and, and I just remember feeling from you this real genuine sort of I just had a vibe about you that you mm. were going to do something very special oh. and then suddenly a year later it all just started yeah. to it's been one of the fastest kind of ascents. I mean, way. people always say that, I think. Yeah. But then it's been like almost 10 years yeah, yeah, <laughs> working. Yeah. But then it, it was like that. Like I think when I was in London, when I met you guys, 
I don't think anyone knew who I was, which is great, because I think I had a little bit of freedom in the studio to kind of play and to test yes. things. I wouldn't have done the story if I didn't feel I had the freedom to. Now I don't know if I would have made that show, just because the pressure is a bit intense. But at the time, it, it was so freeing, and I felt like I've seen all of these artists who have tested so many things, and I, I want to contribute, you know? I don't want to be someone who's just regurgitating the same old, tired, formulaic work, especially since I'm a figurative artist. And so people like Lynette are such a huge influence for me because I just see how much she pushes the medium and tries things and really wants the viewer to pay attention. And so it was so funny when I met you guys, I remember meeting you guys and you said something about Hamilton and I was like, how did you get tickets? <laughs> I, like, I went to it twice as well, yeah. I was like, these folks are on another level. And I, I'm just being honored being in that space. I remember just feeling, and Lynette was so generous and took me to all of these amazing institutions and I learned so much in that trip. And coming back to the States, I just thought, okay, there's a huge history of figurative work. There's a lot of people who have really engaged with the black figure in a way that personally I don't like, but is a part of the history. Mm. What can I do? What can I say that can contribute to that in a way that I think is positive, that helps people think and helps them feel as if not only that they're seen, but there's possibility in the black figure. And so that was sort of the the machinations in my head as I came back and I said, all right, I'm going to do it. And then that's when I started working on wow. the project. So you and made it aspirational was your kind of device. You wanted to make something that was aspiring. Yeah, but, you know, so much of what... And I, I don't want to discount other artists who who deal with the black figure, but there's a lot of this narrative of struggle. There's a lot of this narrative pain, of pain, yeah. you know? And it's, it's not that it's not there. It's mm. not that it's not a huge, inextricable part of what we... how we live mm. and what we are, but... I just don't want to do that. I want to show that there's potential in this that has nothing to do with the pain. And there's some who might argue that we are special because of the pain. We are special because of that history. And that's kind of what uniquely unites all of us across the diaspora. But the diaspora could also be a place of joy. You know, it could also be a place of banality. It could also be a place of so much more. And that's what I wanted to do. I think that was key. So, well, that's that's the love in it then. That's mm. why you kind of rooted it around this love story. Yeah. So, and why did you decide to base it on two gay men then? Look, being Nigerian, mm. one of the things that was really heartbreaking was around, I think, 2004, 2003, the Nigerian government decided to enact a law that made it illegal to marry in Nigeria for um, Homosexual. homosexuality to, yeah. to be legally married in, in Nigeria. And it was around the time when we were having this conversation in the U.S., it was so strange. Like, I remember the joke I told my mother, is like, we can't have reliable lighting in certain parts and people have generators. But yes, let's pass a law that says that, you know, yeah. gay people can't. It was so strange. And there's still a lot of pushback, but there's such a huge gay population in Nigeria that's celebrated and there's a history of it. And so it was a fear mongering. It was a re reaction to what I believe was a mood that was happening in the world that people were like, come on, this is ridiculous. Mm. People should have a right to do what they want and yeah. to love who they love. This is not rocket science, but it's still contentious in the country. And around the time I was writing this, I, 
I thought about these men already, and I knew they were going to be Nigerian because I'm Nigerian. So that's yeah. you know. And I remember telling my mom this story, and she said, "This is very powerful. Like a lot of people like this. You know, a lot of Nigerians might not like this." And I said, "That's not the point. That doesn't mean they don't exist. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I'm not like far flinging into my imaginary to bring these two into being. They mm. exist in Nigeria. This love exists." And everything else just kind of built around that. But that love was, was <laughs> this is going to sound cheesy as hell, but I was like, it carried me through. It helped me out. Because yeah. there were times in the story that was hard to, to draw certain scenes, but I kept thinking about them and thinking, this is important. You know, this story is so important. And I remember hearing you stories. You wanted to tell their story. Yeah. And you'd imagined them, but they became a reality for yeah. you. Yeah. And it was so funny because a lot of the guards would be like, you know, the kids, they come in. They're like, that's my dad's, you know, like during the Whitney show. And, oh, yeah. <laughs> like, like, those are my dad's. Oh, that and, makes me really You know, like, and like, it was so great. You did and, that. Yeah. So has there been a backlash with people, certain people in Nigeria? It's been mixed. I think some, the, the most of the Nigerians who have seen the show, like in the Whitney and things like that, are just like, that's not real. You know, they dismiss it. And... That's their choice. You know, I'm not here to invalidate someone's experience of my work. That's not what I do. But the majority of the people who have seen the work, whether from Nigeria or where else, they loved it. They loved mm. the story. They connected to these characters. Mm. And it was important, you know. Um, I find it really fascinating, this kind of ongoing saga, which has now come... Has it come to an end now? Yeah, it's done. Yeah. So, <laughs> so there was four it. chapters. There was, uh, there was four exhibitions, but it was three chapters, okay. if that makes sense. Yes, yes, yes. Um, yeah. So I found it really interesting, the idea of using it as a creative tool almost. So beyond all of what you've been speaking about, the kind of history and the politics and the emotion and all of those things, mm-hmm. but using it almost as a way to like spark off productivity or creativity. Um, because I think sometimes if you're an artist and you can set rules... Mm-hmm. Um, that the limit of that can actually end up being incredibly like infinite, like an expansive kind of... Exactly. Is that what happened for you? Absolutely. I mean, I learned so much in the sense of what the potential of narrative can do in an exhibition. One of the reasons why I was so excited to do this project in the first place was all of my work was somehow alluding to me. Like it was by de facto autobiographical, which made no sense to me at all. They're characters, you know, I'm not drawing myself. That would be really strange if like all I did was, and there are artists who do that. There are artists who are very much in that um, sort of practice, but I'm not interested in myself in that way. I'm Mm. interested in telling stories and I didn't know that at the time. So after doing this project, I was like, I really like telling stories. I love this idea of like getting lost in a world. And yeah, so they were a world I was in for three years. You sometimes cast your friends as roles. Yeah. <laughs> so like Lynette's in there and Joanna, yeah. who works for the, the gallery exactly. with you. And then they play like the Marchioness, is it? Yeah, Lynette. Oh, no, not Lynette. Lynette was one of the, I think the sisters of one right. of the, the, the lovers in the story. And then Joanna was the mother, of course. Yes. The executive Joanna is yeah, yeah, amazing. Yeah. So they, and you gave them roles. You gave yeah. them like performances. Because they like, inspire, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And have you ever thought of writing the book of this? I'm so insecure about my writing. Are you? Everyone keeps talking about, because I do write these stories before I draw them. Oh, you do? Yeah. That's so interesting. I was going to ask, because there's something so literary about the way you kind of look at the world somehow. Because one of the things, after we met you at that dinner, I followed you on Instagram at the time, and I, I then deleted it a while after, but one of the things I remembered was how your approach to Instagram and posting, you used to write a lot of kind of, comments and yeah. it felt incredibly generous and incredibly open but also it felt like you were trying to like 
help people get inspiration or realize that the artist is actually a person and, yeah. <laughs> but but in a very interesting way and i felt like even the way you communicated on instagram was kind of literary somehow. it's strange because i i think now the medium isn't really it doesn't give you room for that it, it, this is around 2016 so we're still hopeful <laughs> and then you know now people don't even read captions that are like a sentence long which is unfortunate but i love Stories, And I love this idea of um, text. You know, Baldessari just passed away. And he was all about how text and image are both suspect. And I love playing with text in that what way. What do you mean by suspect? It, he, there's an interview, and I might, I might be paraphrasing it, but he said something along the lines of how he did this series called Scenes and Scripts. And right. so it was an image, like some, like this corner of a book. Yeah. And then it would be like a scene from a movie or whatever. Uh-huh. And it was about this unreliability of the image and the unreliability of text, but how both of them create a story. Uh-huh. Um, and I was always been fascinated with that. So I create text in that same manner. Like I write the story out, but the image and the text are almost competing with each other. So what I create and what you see, the text is behind that. So is it like but, a snapshot of that story? Yeah, it's, like a family it's very photo episodic. And that day yeah, we did this. It's exactly, like, it's episodic, but it's yeah. it's it's layered too. And you keep hold of them. You don't like right. And it's, it's this idea how the image can. Lynette said it best. I think it's like an image can only do so much that it because a text can't do that. But you only write text because an image is insufficient. You know, it's, it's, it's vice versa. And yeah. so that's how I use text in my work. That's why I feel very uncomfortable about sharing it because it's, it has a utility that's very specific to me in my process. And I love to communicate in that way, but it's not something that's like, oh, look, I can also do this. You know, it's more of like, um, it's very personal to me, I think, if that makes sense. So this next body of work where you're, because you've been working on paper predominantly. Yeah. You're now moved on to linen. So they've started appearing in the last year. I think yeah. they were a freeze, I saw them. Yeah. And so do you write stories for this next chapter in your career? Yeah. So what's where are we at to now then? It's a whole nother... <laughs> I mean, if I could give a summary, it's, it's like Octavia Butler meets ancient Yoruba mythology meets geology and, and geological sciences and archaeology. So there's, there is some sci-fi in there, right? It's a lot of sci-fi. Because I know you're a big fan of Star Trek. I love so, <laughs> so I think that's amazing. We've now got a bit of Star Trek into Twain's work. Brilliant. I've always been a huge... I mean, I have Octavia Butler's signature oh uh, tattooed on my hand. No way. Um, that's yeah, so cool. that's her signature. I am a huge sci-fi nerd, and um, I've always wanted to do sci-fi. But again, it's like this thing where people think, okay, she does these really luscious-looking figures. You know, after my last series, With a lot of color, yeah. right? And like, you know, everyone looks very glamorous. And I was like, well, that was just a chat. You know, that was just a story. You know, I'm not. That's not all I do. And so I wanted to just show what else is possible. And linen kind of came into the forest. I've never worked on that surface before, so let's try that. And I wanted to limit the palette after, you know, three years of just polychromatic exploration. And, yeah, that restriction just opened up a world. Like, it's it's really crazy. In fact, I'm kind of scared, actually, because I think people are going to walk into the Barbican space and just be like, what happened in the last year? (laughs) What's the response been like so far? People have seen it. Uh, it, People are confused a bit, I think, because they're so used to a certain 
work that I do. Yeah. But it's also they're very intrigued and they're very much want to be live in that world. I mean, it's so refreshing. <laughs> yeah. Just even you talking about it. I love this idea that you've sort of pushed yourself to try something new, not even just the surface, but then take your work somewhere else. Yeah. Because that's quite a scary thing to do. It's utterly terrifying. If you're really, really successful and popular yeah. and then suddenly you go like, right, well, I'm stopping that now and I'm doing this. Take a smooth left and just do something completely so different. It's sharp. It feels like a sharp left. <laughs> does, it, does, it, does it feel like you had to really have a lot of guts to do that or is that just your personality? You know what? Are you thing? brave? Like, <laughs> I'm not <laughs> brave. I think one of the, I was just talking to my friend about this. It's a daily struggle because you have to convince yourself to look at the work macrocosmically. I think with artists, we get so caught up in in it you know we're in the world and we're in it and we're scared because we don't know how people are going to respond to it because we're so entrenched and i had to kind of train myself to realize that what you are doing you can't know it now like you never will you can just do it and you feel a deep foundational urge to make this work it's coming from a place that's important obviously because you can't ignore it and so you give it all you can in this time you're allowed and whatever happens, happens. If you fail, okay, but you gave it your shot. And what people are, I think a lot of my friends who have seen the work, they feel a very emotional connection to yeah, the work. It's very too. deeply like, yeah, this, this one of my friends was like damn near tears. She was like, girl, this is like some deep shit, like yeah. about Africa and about, and I didn't think it was going to be that, but mm. it's, it's just become that. And you've currently, so how many works are going to be in the show? Did you say seven? 40. Oh, 40? Yeah. No way, 40 yeah. works of all different scales? Yeah, mostly seven feet. Some of them are diptychs, some of them are triptychs. But yeah, it's just me making 40 pieces. So it's a major, major yeah. show then? Yeah. Wow. You're super loved for the way you create skin, black skin, mm. and the way that it has kind of like light reflections in it. These newer works... You've completely changed that style of how you mm. paint or you draw black yeah. skin. Yeah. But it's also this idea of like what is blackness and what does that entail? What does that contain? And also I wanted to, again, going into sci-fi, what is blackness in that context? Because I think oftentimes the black skin reads differently in sci-fi stories. That's why I love Octavia Butler so much. You forget these are black characters. Not that it isn't important, it's just fact, and then you move on. And so the features of these characters is African, but that's not the end point. And I think whenever people see my skin and you know, I still go into it and I, I make it luscious, I, I give it a sort of tactility, but I felt that people were distracted by the blackness as an endpoint, not as a journey. And one of the things that I always see is black skin is that it's a catalyst for stories. You know, it's, it's a fact to start from, and then we move on. But the problem with reads is that people look at blackness and they think that's the end of the sentence. That's the point. And it's like, no, <laughs> I don't wake up and just mm. think I'm black, therefore that's it. Like, mm -hmm, that's not mm -hmm. a way to live. And pictures shouldn't be read in that finite way either. And so... One of the reasons why I also wanted to be monochromatic in this whole series was you forget the blackness and you actually pay attention to what's going on and you're seeing the story unfold. Wow. So it's not an, an anti-black sort of like, oh, you know, there's very polemical statements that have been made about like, well, I don't really see blackness and that's not what I'm doing. It's, yeah. it's entrenched in the work. Yeah. It's everywhere. Yeah. But it's not something that distracts you to the point where you don't see anything else but that blackness. That's that so makes sense. So it really is like the next step, isn't it? It's like yeah. you've, 
Yeah, so it's still, in a way, linked to, even though it's not narratively linked to the previous saga, mm. which I love calling it the saga. <laughs> yeah. It sounds so kind of yeah. romantic and, like, old times or something. I don't know, I yeah. love it. But um, It feels like a Mills and Boone sort of book. It's kind of like this. <laughs> but it's what it oh makes you think of, these snapshots that, like, you see the covers of Mills and Boone. It's like... I think, like, Zadie was, uh, Zadie Smith, who was an amazing writer, was saying, like, it's her, Edith, yeah. Edith, Edith Wharton or something. I was like, oh, whoa, right, this right. is some intense, oh. like... <laughs> I don't know if I'm that into it, but yeah, yeah they're they're literary, uh, the work, and I it was just it all came from that last series. I was not doing work like that before, so this so this new work. Do you think that had been there the whole time, and you'd been denying it because you had to do this other body of work, or do you? Mm. Yeah, I think my mom, my mom is such a, she's so like on it like when I started showing her the very first pieces she was like this has been in you since you were like 18 I could tell Seriously? like she knew and and I was like you know it's, <laughs> it's, like, right. it's yeah. always been there and it's nice to finally oh god it's so weird I've had friends finally come to the studio to see the work and the responses have been so interesting especially ones who have known me for a really long time and they're like this has been in you for years this is before the last year this is something that you've needed to get out of you mm. for a while and now that it's out, it feels like I'm free to do anything. So like do it's you feel so... like this is, again, one body of work, and now you're going to go... And like, then I'm, I'm already on the next... And... Yeah, I'm already on the next project. No way! <laughs> so do, you think, do you think that the fact you had the kind of critical um, and... Uh, kind of commercial mm. success and respect mm. because people have taken you very seriously because you are incredibly skilled mm. as a kind of drafts person and a, and a artist and a painter and, yeah. you know a figurative artist and, and because the thoughts behind it are so rigorous and so intelligent mm. and you know profound but do you think that that kind of critical reception has then led to you feeling confident enough to do what you just done sometimes people just need to know that they're allowed you know, you go through like stages where you believe in yourself that, yeah, my work is strong. I have the potential. I know this to be true because I feel it in my bones, but it's not in the context of how you live. And in the art world, everything's very monetary and everything is very much about who just gives you that like ting, like, oh, she's good. And they pull you from the, you know, the, the sea of people who are all talented, who are all amazing, but you've been picked. It gives you so much of a release. It's like suddenly I, I am allowed to do whatever I want now because so much of what you do, or at least for me, was like I have to prove that I have a reason to be here. I have to justify why my work is on the walls. I have to work like a crazy person to the point where my mother's calling me like, girl, I am really worried for your health. Really? <laughs> but you know, yeah. like, you know, it's like this idea that earn your keep, earn the, the, the reason you were picked. And to me, that's rigor. To me, that's like really demanding the, the best of yourself. But then after a while, it comes to a head and you realize, okay, who am I really proving this for? You know, I've been very fortunate to have the critical and commercial success that really was unexpected from the last yeah, series. Sure. Yeah, yeah. And I really was very fine with where I was before that. But suddenly it, it elevated my work into a space that made me very uncomfortable. And it, a lot of the stuff in that saga was pressured by that. And there were some dark times. I felt really scared about failure. And mm. one of this, this series was so important to me because it was... This is going to sound real emotional, and I apologize. No, but I remember when I did the last series, I, I kept, in an interview, I said, it's like, it's for that 14-year-old Toyin who was, like, really, like, 
an Anglophile and like loved, you know, like stories about all this sort of thing. And then now this series that I just am finishing is for like 19-year-old tween and this who was in college and read Octavia Butler, like, you know, e, e, uh, Octavia E. Butler for like days and was really into Star Trek and all this stuff. You're like and, Adele. So you're an Anglophile. So for you, the Barbican is like. The oh dream. my God. It's, it's, I'm losing my shit. Sorry, can I, can I go? Of course. Yeah, yeah, we're Sorry, <laughs> you're losing your and shit. And also, don't ever apologize for emotion because we love emotional talk. <laughs> but yeah, it's like that. It's like, I'm, I'm just thinking about that girl who was really depressed and really didn't think she would ever have a space to show her work and would ever be um, given a platform in any way. And to be where I am, to have even young people say, you inspire me, like that really hits me in a very emotional place. And I wanna, I wanna give that to them. You know, that's where I'm at now. Like after all that that success has brought me, it's like, look, I was there with you. Like I thought I didn't matter at all. Like I didn't think what I created meant anything. Mm. And now I'm here the least I can show is that this ratchet girl from Alabama is showing at the barbican. That's crazy. Like, you know, that's really insane. But also that this ratchet girl from Alabama is going to show you the best that she's got, like the best work and not take the viewer for granted in that. Do you think about the viewer? I do a lot. I think because I I hate this idea that people go into museums and they feel they can't connect to work or it's somehow like, oh, I'm I'm not smart enough for that or I don't have. That's what we're all about. You know? Mm. And it's like, no, you have the tools. Viewership is an activity and but you have to believe that you are partaking in the art making when you see it. And I think a lot of and it's not a fault of museums or anything like that. I think they're trying to establish that this is an important work, but in that they're alienating people they feel like they can't connect and what i love is when young kids they don't have that yet so they see the work and they're like that dude dumped her <laughs> you know, it's like you know some like mythology and then they had like a soap opera. exactly yeah. and it's like but it's like some ancient mythology or renaissance painting but they can totally connect yeah. and i want my work to be that for people i want people to walk through it and say oh i totally know what that scene is about or like oh he's giving her the side eye like yeah like make it on your terms you project know, bring onto it, to, it and Yeah, and make it yours. You know, art is yours. Um, That's what made me want to be an artist. I saw something and I was like, that's mine. You know, even though I might not recognize myself in it, my story was projected onto it. I could see the potential there and I loved it for that. Can you remember what the first things were you saw? (sighs) This is going to sound so cheesy. I remember it was Elizabeth Catlett and it was Barkley Hendrick, uh, Barkley L. Hendricks, and it was John Singer Sargent. Those works blew my mind. And where, where would you have seen those? Oh, just usually, because I, I was in Alabama, it was, it was like books or the internet, you know, I was kind of part of that generation that came up with that. So seeing them online, like seeing Elizabeth Catlett, like sculpture and going, this is insane. Like, you know, she had a sculpture named Ife and I was like, I was born in Ife, what? You know, and like all of that stuff. And like Barkley L. Hendricks, like, come on. Like his, yeah. his stuff is just, he's the OG, man. Yeah. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com
He's like... There's an amazing exhibition about to open. It'll be on when your show's on at the Barbican. But it's in the town where I live now, outside of London, called Margate. It's a seaside town. Everyone listening knows about it already. Um, (laughs) Because I mention it a lot. But there's a museum there called the Turner Contemporary. They just had the Turner Prize there. And they are doing a show called We Will Walk. And it's opening um, beginning of February. And it goes on till June, I think. Oh, wow. And it's um, from Alabama. And it's all like yard art. And the incredible movement of like quilt making. Yes! It's extensive group Exhibition. And oh, that's so amazing! Profoundly, it's going to have a big impact, I think. Mm. But you should try and come down and see. It I would love to see that. Yeah, yeah. Margate's so like famous now. Oh, yeah. It's it's like How attached do you get to your work? Like you saying, you had a big commercial success, so most of your works yeah. have been placed now. Mm. Did you keep any back for yourself? I try to, but it's harder because you know it's like I said, it's a monetary thing. You got to keep the lights on. You got to yeah. sell the work. Yeah. I remember someone said, oh, "I can't afford your work." I was like, "Girl, I can't afford my work either." Who you think this is? <laughs> 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 but it's yeah, you know. But I try to keep it as much as I can, and it's not really me keeping it. It's for my family. Mm. Um, I have two younger brothers, and I often think about them yeah. and their families. And I would love for them to live with my work yeah. if, if that's a gift I can provide. But yeah, it, I'm I get very attached. But then there's a disassociation that happens when it's up. It's kind of like, you know, it for lack of better metaphor, they're my babies, but they have their own lives. Like, you know what I mean? Like they're out there in the world and and they're free. But there are pieces that I that I make that I'm like, God, man, that's that's a special one. And you miss it. No, it's gone into yeah. the world. Yours was like that. Was it a special yeah. one? Oh, good. <laughs> it was one. Mine's called The it. Abstraction of a Continent. Yeah, and I, I bought that and it was going to SCAD, to Savannah, yeah. the Savannah College of Art and Design. Mm. I went there. I mean, I, would, I went to Savannah Storm. to see your yeah. work and Storm, the yeah, curator who's there. Yeah, amazing. Storm, let me just get his name right. Storm Jensen, yeah. Storm Jensen van yeah. Rensburg. Yes. yes. And he walked me around. And He's amazing. The show is amazing, but that work that I have and I get to live with every day is just so powerful yeah. and beautiful. And you were attached to that one. I really was. I mean, there's the pieces that really kind of struck me are the ones that have an emotional depth yeah, and gravity that, that um, I don't know. Sometimes it's not even readily visible to people, mm. I think, but that one is... And who is he in the mythology? So he's um, actually one of the main characters. He was. This is like kind of like during his college years, and he's having a so bit of a crisis. Yeah, yeah, he's one is of the he? couple. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know. I so thought he was a ha- cousin. Yeah, no. Yeah, he's one. So he's got the lead. <laughs> so there's like pieces throughout the saga where, like, I wanted to show like what it's like. I mean, to live with that decision that you have especially in Nigerian culture, your family name is so important. Yes. Your family's, you know, pride and history is so important. And grappling with being gay, grappling with be- anything that is, you are that queer element in your family's story. And I think that what I wanted to show was that it's not something that should be treaded lightly. It's not something you tack on. And I think in our society now, people think it's something that... Because it's now because of the hard work of a lot of people over many generations. People think it's so cool to be in that queer space. Nah, boo, it is hard. Mm. It is a difficult process, and it is daily. Mm. And it's something that someone has to affirm every day. I am who I am, and I love that. Mm. And I'm going out in the world, and I'm going to contribute in a way that is a loving space, you know? But to show that in a drawing is tricky because there's no text to to tell you that's happening. And so the emotion has to be subtle enough but still hold you as a viewer to see it. And I think 
queerness is so freeing in that is it shows <laughs> well, Rocky no no, no. Rocky. Rocky agrees yes um, yeah Rocky's like here here exactly. yeah, yeah, yeah. he's an ally yeah. <laughs> he's a total ally shush baby um, talking about the importance of um, your family name I remember when we first met you said somebody had published an article about you or, or even it might have been like a little thing or something and they just put your name as Toyin um, Odotola yeah. um, without your o, the o, OG, your, yeah. exactly, which is your mother's exactly. name and then uh, Odotola is your father's name. Mm. Can you talk a bit about the importance of like uh, yeah. uh, having your mother's name and your father's name Absolutely. side by side? I, I love I've, that story. No, it's really something that I always say. <laughs> I think people are like, like, well, I always, oh. I'm afraid that people get like, they don't understand why it's so important to me yeah. because in... In, again, Nigerian culture, um, I'm part of the Yoruba and the Igbo tribe. So my father is Yoruba and my mother's Igbo. And if anyone knows anything about uh, the Biafran War, mm, right after the, the British War, left, right? yeah, yeah. Um, those were the two main tribes that were fighting for power. And I don't know, I'm not going to say and pretend that I know the ins and outs of that mm. war, but it was pretty... Well, we said it was like West Side Story or Romeo and Juliet. It's even deeper than dad that. dad was from one side yeah. of the Civil War and your mum was from the other. Exactly. And even when they met, I mean, they're members of both of my parents' family who don't talk to my parents. I mean, it's still, like, it's wow. it's still a thing. But, I mean, now there's people my generation who do this all the time. You, mm. you hear about weddings where, yeah, he happens to be from this tribe and right. it's not a thing. But at the time I was born, it was, like, I think some members hadn't even met me until I was, like, four. Like, like you know what I mean? Like, they were just, like, we're not engaging, you know, with this at all. Um, and it's such a leap of faith that my parents did to say, I choose you. You know, like, I choose you despite all of this mm. history, despite all of this, like... And what you're going to go through. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, and the power, that is, like, truly the power of love, isn't it? Really? And, and to, like, yeah... Like and that's say, in like your blueprint, then. Exactly. That's, like, in my so love family. Love is, like, that strong love. That you need love. Exactly. Yeah. But then, of course, you know, fast forward to 2020, and they're, like, fighting over the remote. And I'm like, y'all went through all of that. To <laughs> <laughs> so be fighting over the remote right now. Like, I, <laughs> but it's true. Like, it's, it's so inspiring to me. And, and also, my mother is such a huge influence on my life. And I want her name to be on the walls wherever I go, wherever I show my work. She's a part of my story. Because originally it wasn't. Yeah, because, you know, it's this idea of patriarchy. You know, your father's name is your name. And, no, I am of two very strong, very proud tribes and two very strong, proud histories. And I want those to be with me wherever I go. And I so it really emotional. I <laughs> that's why I wanted to ask you. I know you have spoken about it a lot. Yeah. And it must get a bit, like, tedious to keep talking about the same thing. But yeah. the thing is, I just find it so deeply... Because it's so, it's the pride you have yeah. for both yeah. of your parents. And, and like, they each have the equal weight. There's, no, well. there's exactly. no hyphen. They each have their equal own. importance. And yeah. they stand next to each other. And, I mean, of course, there's some Yorubas out there. I'm going to say what I'm going to say. I'm going to be petty for a second. But some Yorubas on Instagram be like, we ain't going to put the OG. And they put the Odutala and they know damn well. Because <laughs> on your Instagram OG. handle, it says it's... OG Odutola, exactly. yeah. But then I'll have like some like, especially Nigerian media, they'll be like, Ms. Odutola. I said, mm-hmm, okay. <laughs> I see what you did there. So go, going back to family and like childhood, what were you like, how did it begin? Like your, yeah. the creativity for you? Like where did it come from? I was not an artistic kid. I what? was very rambunctious and like my parents were worried about me. They, they probably thought I was going to go to jail. Really? <laughs> I, was, I was pretty like, I was a bit of a rebel in the sense that like I... And I think about it now, looking back, I was just someone who, one, I never had good relationship with authority. But I also, like, one of the things that art has really gifted me is, like, if you choose a position, you better prove why you choose that position. 
art is something that is like, okay, I have this idea. Okay, test it out. Prove it. And that's what I feel about people. And so whenever someone would tell me something that was just like a blanket statement or they just say, oh, this is what it is, I said, wait, prove it. Why? Don't just say, I, I believe this thing. Why do you believe this thing? Or don't just say, like, this is the way things are. But why? <laughs> you know, that was it. And so I got into trouble a lot with teachers, with authority figures and things like that. But it came off as just me being like a brat. But it was really me trying to understand the world. And so my parents were really scared that I was going to just come up on a lot of people because I, I always look at both sides of things. Like whenever someone makes a statement, regardless of their position, it's like, that's how I feel. I said, mm, but then someone can make an equally valid statement from the other side of the table. You can't just say that, you know, and say it's truth and fact. Like, and one of the things that art really gifts me is that I am constantly thinking about two sides of everything while I'm working and how that can be read. And I always test, I always say I come out with a question whenever I make a series or a work. And if that question is not answered by the end of that work, I failed. That's to me a failure of the work. And so I was that way as a kid. I was always testing things out, trying things, because I just wanted to see, like, what does this mean? What, what is the definition? And not have it be something that's just like, dismissive or just like that's the way it is I just I, I could never accept that as a child and so I got into a lot of trouble <laughs> as a kid um, in a way that sounds like you had a very sort of bright intellect like mm. you were obviously highly intelligent or, or I was just bratty <laughs> yeah I know but it's almost like you had to instead of taking the world for what it looks Granted, like yeah. you yeah. were like but what is making you that were- you, you would, know, look like yeah, you were challenging received wisdom. Right. Yes. And you're like, yeah. well, why, why are you saying that? You're oh, just... even myself. Like, just the yeah. fact that I had a propensity to do certain things. Like, why do I always think this way? Or why do I always feel this way? Like, it wasn't just other people. It was myself, too. So, so what, and what about drawing for you? That, that came... must have been such a key part of everything that you've become. So where, when did you remember first starting to draw and what it, it meant was, to you? It was the Lion King. The Lion King? <laughs> are you serious? Yeah. The animation. Yeah. I Russell's love like animation. Jaws on the floor right now. He's like the Lion King. Wow, like, we're going all over the place with this. this one. Love it. Go on. was, I wanted to be an animator. I wanted to be an illustrator and an animator for many years. I love Japanese anime. I love Disney films, like you know Aladdin, The Lion King. I love those movies. And so I wanted to be an animator. And when my family was, we lived in California for a few years, and we had to move to Alabama. And my mom was really scared because I got really depressed because I was like, I don't want to move again. We've moved so much. And so she got me a Lion King, no, like, coloring book, like, you know. And she was like, have at it, you know. We're going to be traveling for a few days. Do that. And I copied Timon like a crazy person. (laughs) Every, like, hotel, like, you know, pad or paper, anything I could find, I was drawn to Moan. And I never liked to draw before. It was just something that happened. And then Timon became my little avatar. And after a while, when we finally moved to Alabama, I was like, okay, I should probably draw something else. And that's when I started just taking art classes in school or starting art clubs in school. And then this whole idea of like, oh, wow, I'm looking at your face and I just transported it onto a surface. That's magic. Wow, the That's crazy. Yeah. yeah. And drawing became this like fascinating, magical thing that was mine, you know? So we could move wherever we want, but I had that. I could take that. I could look at your yeah. face. I could look at a book and I could transpose it on a surface and it was mine and so that became like I think that was what it was it was sort of a coping mechanism for me but now it's become something else you know as I've grown but and moving around a lot really um appears in your work constantly Mm. throughout that really affects 
especially the last subjects, the, yeah. the way they go. Yeah. I've always said it, like, you know, it's a landscape, the surface of my work. Yeah, they're portraits of people, you know, in scenes or whatever, but it's a landscape your eye travels. I want the eye to dance. I want y'all to really, like, meander through the work and because that's what I do when I make it. And so, yeah, that's drawing for me is the most magical thing, like... I love it. If and you, you class yourself as a draftswoman. I do. Rather than a painter. Yeah, I just don't know what to do with a brush. Do you, do, <laughs> do you think that's next? Is that, is that, can you see the future of you picking up a paintbrush? I've, I've tried. It's just... Uh-huh. I always feel like, though, you're trying to, to be so much you and you don't want to do something that other people have done. And in a way, I guess less people have sort of focused the whole of their you know, the main part of their work being yeah. done like, in that way. Drawing so it's is... it's kind of a unique thing for you, isn't it? It's also like an immediate thing. You know, I think when mm. whenever people talk about drawing, it's the immediacy of the line, you know. Like, painting can be immediate. I'm not saying it can't, but drawing is, by definition, about immediacy. You know, the cartoon, the sketch. It's like, I have this thing in my head and I got to get it down really quickly. And so there's that like energy in the work that I like even though my stuff is very composed and layered and researched it still has that element of immediacy so how many sketches do you normally make before you make a a drawing (sighs) many thumbnail sketches and I plan sometimes I combine different ones and the composition is very important to me but when I start it when the sketch is down always it's on like it's like it's like almost as if everything's out the window and then the drawing really happens and everything is immediate and it could be like like the other day I was working on a drawing and there was a face of a character that was one way and then all of a sudden I was like nah I'm going to make him angry <laughs> like, <laughs> or something. Or like, and then there was another guy who like kind of looked like, I don't, I don't even know what the equivalent would be. He was kind of like, all right, like that kind of like face. And so, yeah, like I, that's what I love about drawing. It can change. It's mercurial, you know? Oh, interesting. Yeah. Mercurial. That's a beautiful word. Do they hinge on any, uh, the newest show, The Barbican, are mm. they hinging like the, the past series did on the, the love story? What do they hinge on in the new story? <sighs> You know, or is that too? Speaking of the story, Zadie told me I should probably. This might be when I tell people the story. I might as well because there's not going to be any text. But I will say this: it is a love story between a man and a woman. But it's not really. They're not men and women in how we think. They're they're like humanoid characters. But um, they come from worlds that are actually, or systems, I should say, where homosexuality and just homosexual relations are actually the norm. And it's the opposite of when a heterosexual couple comes together. It's actually aberrant. It's actually kind of forbidden. Wow. So it's like, it's the complete inverse. So that's kind of the love story. That's the that's the thing. It's like they're coming together. It's like, girl, what? Or dude, what? So, like, the, so the, on the last series, the, everyone around them was celebrating in that love story. Mm. And they were like, the audience were like family members at the wedding, for exactly. example. Whereas this one, people are... They're against it. Exactly. They're so against so the, it. the feeling throughout is a bit like resentment or a bit like... They're like almost... It's kind of like my parents' love. It's like, how could you? You know, like, how could yeah, you? Yeah, like, like hostility. Wow. Kind of it, it breaks the whole system and down. And all these kind of other yeah. energies. Because the idea of partnership in this world is through a partner who is the same gender as you or the same sexual identity as you. It is not through a heterosexual um, sort of coupling. And so they're accidentally falling in love is kind of like a big moment in the story. 
This is how my brain works. Y'all brought me on here. But if you think of a universe that you created in that first saga, is this still the same universe or is it like a new universe? It's a completely different world. Yeah, these are like sci-fi. It's a whole nother, the language, the rules in this world are completely different. They're alien in a sense. Yes, like completely different planets. Exactly. Different universes, yeah. I was just inspired by, and it really came out of nowhere. But there's, in central Nigeria, which I've never been, and I have no family in, there's these rock formations that are like millions of years old. I'm talking like basalt rock, black shale. They're like like paleolithic, like, like that, like with pictographs on them. And I remember reading about this and going... With what on them? Pictographs, so like, like markings. So like ancient peoples, like, yeah, markings wow. on like volcanic rock, like basalt, that had risen from the ground oh over like God. millennia, right? Wow. We can't even date these. I love how whenever people talk about Stonehenge, for instance, I'm like, there's Stonehenges in like Africa. You do realize, yeah, yeah, yeah. and so like, so there's this like. I remember my auntie even told me she's a geologist. She's like, yeah, there's a lot of these rocks, and I thought, what if there was an ancient civilization? Yeah, like, what would that look like? And like, or like Atlantis, or something, or right? Something, yeah. And um, and just this whole thing, and the story just came from that. It was just like I was given creative license to just imagine a civilization that is in central Nigeria and has this world. And it just came from reading about it. Wow. But that's part of the research. That's part of the story-making element. And and then everything just kind of comes together. And it really could be a conversation I heard. Someone yeah, says, like, yeah. oh, that could be interesting. Or, you know, But like that was what was the crux the of this story. Yeah. yeah. So tell us about your studio practice. How often are you in there? All the time. <laughs> All the time. How many works are you on? At a time, how many can you work on? I can work on multiple at a time. I think every work informs the other, so it's nice to have multiple up on the wall. But sometimes when you're in it with one piece, you know, you can't Focus ignore it. Yeah. Are you in the same studio you've been for a while? I just moved. So I just moved to BK. <laughs> I was in the city for a while and, and now... Are I you like was in it. Manhattan, was you? Yeah, I was in the EFA. And, Where's that? Um, it was like Garment District. Okay. Um, Midtown way. Yeah, yeah Midtown. Right. And it's a great space, but I needed like a bigger, especially with this new work, so I need a bigger space. So did you make the whole of the Barbican show in that new, new yeah. space, not, not in between the two? Mm-mm. Oh, that's it's great. All, so you yeah. had a complete focus. It's like a whole shift, isn't it? It's energy. And, and right now, your, your shipment goes in two days' time yeah. to London. Yeah. So you've completed, um, I guess, 33 of the works? I, 30, 35? 35 of the work. Yeah. So you've got a few left to go. Yeah. The, I can't believe you're speaking to us. I'm so grateful. No, thank you. It's I so mean, awesome. it's, it's dope. It's just, I mean, it's kind of insane that 40 pieces came out of this body, but child, you know, <laughs> I knew I was going to do it. It's a massive space. And I knew that this is my first solo show in the UK ever. I wanted to give the UK something that, mm. you know, was just something that they could just say, yeah, you know, I want kids to see that and just be like, I said this to Lottie Johnson, who's a curator of my show. She's amazing. I said this to her. They were like, what do you want this show to be? And they were trying to do the programming text. I said, don't just say it's a black show. Don't do that to the people. And they're like, well, what do you want it? I said, if anything, I just want to show that y'all have options as a black artist. You don't have to do the same things. Mm. There's so many worlds you can you know, explore mm. and do. And if I can give them anything, if you want to write about this show, it's about we have options. So You know what's really interesting as well is I think what I took away from the show that Russell took me to is the idea, and I was actually going to introduce the episode like that, but I changed my mind in the end, but about this <laughs> idea of potential mm-hmm. and the power of potential within all of us. Mm. And 
I know we have different like backgrounds, and I'm I'm white skinned, and I don't have the you know the, the same history. But I I did take away something like a kind of idea that no matter what your background is, whether you've been grown up very poor, very rich, whatever, mm. like you can make something of yourself, and it can be you can dream big, mm. and those dreams can be realised, mm. and it might be a really hard struggle, and it might take a long long time, mm. but like. There's something about your work that's like you can just see the decades of of effort you've put in to like create something, and then it's gone transcendent. You know, it's gone to a place where it's actually yeah. just so beautiful now. Mm. It's and I was I was thinking weirdly about like ancient things like I don't know like Michelangelo or like oh, wow. or like no I know I don't mean to be hyperbolic, but what I mean is is like that that sense of commitment to something. Mm. And I believe if you commit yourself to something and to what you really believe in your deepest deepest like you know, the things you only tell yourself, like, in your heart, you can make that life a reality for yourself. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And oh. for me, it's a different struggle because it's be like coming to terms of being gay, you know, in a community that was very, you know, conservative, whatever, and then having to just constantly believe in who you are. Yeah. And now that I'm 39, I'm just beginning to feel happy and I'm beginning to feel like I found my calling, even doing this podcast with Russell. Mm. Oh, wow. And I get that from your work, though. And I take that for, for me, if you see what I mean. So, yeah, it's not, yeah. so it's not, I don't think it's, like mm. you're saying, it's not just a black yeah. you know, show or, or mm. yeah, it's kind of for everyone. I mean, it's, the systems that we live in are very powerful. And I'm not going to sit here and make people feel like, I don't want to have people's individual things become the reason that the system is bad to you. No, the system is bad. Right. You as a person are not bad. You are not wrong. And I think part of the reason why with the way people talk about black art or anything that's marginalized is that it ascribes so much of that badness or abnormality in the system to who you are as a marginalized person. And that's bullshit. The system is bad. And your dreaming, your belief in yourself has nothing to do with the system, and you have a right to that dream. Yeah. And I think a lot of people get caught up in the system because they see it affirms that everything that they are is wrong, everything that they are isn't true, or whatever, and it's lies. The system just benefits from you feeling that way. Right, right, right. And if you... I'm not going to sit here and say my work is going to like save lives. I know what my work does, but I think if art can do anything is that it helps people get ideas. Exactly. You know what I mean? About how to tackle the system and not get caught up in their own individual like thing because part of what, I mean, everyone who says they do political work now, of course work is political because we live in a system that's very unfair. But what you need to understand is that art gives us that, again, that why. Why do we live this way? Why do we believe the things we believe? Why is the system like this? And then it gets you out of that individual space and into something grander. And it, it takes the load off of you. Like, yeah. you, it's not you. You know what I mean? It's not, yeah. You're not the problem. Yeah. You're just a part of a system that's wrong. Yeah. You know? So that's what I meant by, like, when they were talking about the language of the work. Mm. Don't just say black work, because that's, that's the system there. Don't do that to people. Yeah, 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 you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, of course. How long have you been in London then for the oh. show? I think I'm, I'm, I'm there for March for the install and yeah. everything. And will you be curating it? Like, I mean, installing yeah. it? Yeah. Do you know where you want to place the work? Oh, I or? got the whole thing. Really? <laughs> I mean, I, my, my notebooks with all the writings, it's like 
all of the way that everything's supposed to go is, is in there too. So I'm bringing my little raggedy notebook with me. And yeah, I'm excited. It's gonna be interesting. We're having a, a soundtrack uh, by the sound artist Peter Ajayi doing, so it's like you're gonna walk into the space and it's like you're gonna hear his music. It's what? immersive, and what, yeah. right. So it's gonna be a very immersive. Is it quite sci-fi music? Or? I mean, it's, it's beautiful. I've been listening to his, his composition. It's amazing. I'm and he so, made it specifically for your yeah, show? Specifically. What's the title of your show? Uh, uh, a countervailing theory. And what does that relate to? But this idea, to countervail something, by definition, is one force or one idea must have an equally opposing force to balance everything out. And um, it's this idea that, like, again, the why. If someone comes at you with this dominating point, this force, like, this is it, something has to come to balance it. It can't just be one thing. That's the world. That's everything. And in this story, there has been this idea of a system, mm -hmm. lovers doing this or whatever, and these two people who aren't supposed to be together come together and countervail that entire system. And oh, so it's wow. a theory that I'm positing to the, to the people. <laughs> it can extend to a lot of things. It's a very pretentious sounding title, but it it's comes not, from a deeply I love, I love emotional place. Titles are so important to you. You yeah. title all your works, I know, yeah. and you title your shows, yeah. and they're always, special it's like <laughs> but i also was interested in that that exactly what ross just said because the you the, the titles you have decided to share yeah with people so that's a part of the text that you are revealing exactly yeah. and so i was going to say like because um to wonder determined yeah like so and and like the new one like you there's such specific you know and, and scad was testing the name but now we spoke about your parents names yeah. i think is that relation to you testing your name with og as well or is it testing the name oh. of I didn't think about it that way. No, testing the name was about that queerness narrative. It's like, the, I don't know if you remember when you saw the show, there was a letter. Yeah. So that letter is from As the father. As you walked in. Yeah. Yes. So yes. that was the letter from the father to his son who's come out to him in the last letter, which we don't see. So this is the response to his come out letter. Right, yeah. And in that letter, he says, son, if you think that you being gay is wrong or that it's going to somehow test the name of this family, meaning oh. it's going to ruin this family's reputation, you do not know me as a father. Like, so that's basically what that, that's the first thing you oh see. So that's why the whole show is called Testing the Name, because he thinks because of what he is, he's testing the name of his family. And the father's like, there's nothing to test. You're, you're a part of our family always. Oh my God. As your so gay fan base just like soared. <laughs> <laughs> you must have so many gay followers. It's like, because Instagram is a big medium for you, yeah. that you love to show people your process as I an do. artist. Yeah. I think it's important to share it, but I think Instagram now has sort of permutated into something that I don't know if it's necessarily beneficial now. I think when it started it was, but it's sad because I think a lot of people, they just look at you for what you can provide or what, what purpose you have and not the potential of what work can do and how that dialogue of exchange between artists and audience can be really fruitful in that medium. Mm -hmm. But right now it's just you know, it's about a fantasy. It's about selling people what they want to see, like the glamorous life of art. Art is not glamorous. Art making is not glamorous. It's, yeah. it's a rigorous practice. Do you find it hard? I mean, it's hard for a reason because you love it so much. Mm. Like you wouldn't do something because it was easy. What is that thing that Janet Mock said in Dev's song where she's like, why would you want to do the least? Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, that's what I feel like Instagram has become. Like, why would you want to do the least? But that's what literally everyone is aiming for because they're scared. Um, to be sincere or to be rigorous, and that saddens me. I don't know. Well, hopefully your work will encourage people to 
you know it is do doing something and dream big it is doing do it isn't like hopefully like, yeah. it is you're doing <laughs> yeah, yeah. it you're an inspiration you're no but i meant the new show i mean oh, right. London, oh, yeah. I, yeah. I oh and a new audience will, yeah a whole new yeah, audience are going to come to your work yeah, you know, and it's just not be showing like... in new york it's showing in london so i imagine that will you 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 by doing what you're doing mm. are going to inspire people mm. i hope you so know? yeah yeah the show is traveling actually it's going to be in london then it's going to denmark denmark right yeah and then it's going to the hershorn Really? Yeah, it's that. insane. Wow. I, I'm actually like, if I think about it really hard, I'd be scared. I'll get shook. <laughs> <laughs> Going wow. back to music, I wanted to uh, let you know something because I heard that your favorite karaoke song is Tyrone by Erica. Badu, I mean, it's a classic. And I love it. <laughs> oh my God. Would you give us Erica a bit Badu. of Tyrone now? Oh, I can't. <laughs> <laughs> I bet you can. <laughs> But so, but how, how important is music to you? Do you apart from this soundtrack that's oh. been done for your show, do you listen to music in the studio all the time? I mean, it's it oscillates between like electronic, like or Afrobeat or um, like oldies with goodies kind of stuff, or like audiobooks. Like so, like I, there's always something in the background. But I love music. I love especially music that transports you. Um, so I, I tend to to like like very electronic kind of basically what Peter's creating for this this show. It's kind of like African um, hypnotic transcending music that gets you lost. Low beats. Yeah, just very kind of like subtle and it's almost like it eases into you. Yeah, 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 exactly. I love that kind of stuff. So we ask every guest who comes on Talk Art two very important questions. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which you'll know because you've listened you to You look really Art. worried then. Like, you're like, what? Oh, okay. I know, yeah, yeah, yeah. So the first one is, if you could do an art heist and take home any artwork that you like, we will help you. We can bring vans, cranes, anything you need. And Or, or if you can't do that, it could be a touchstone, something that you always return to. Oh, man. What would it be? There was something I saw. I really love Japanese woodblock prints. Oh, and... Um, Oh God, and I know, but cannot please bear with me. No, it's on course. my phone, it, but yeah. I think I. I you want to work in Japan, right? You want to show there. I really do. I love Japanese art. I've always been obsessed because of mangas. The manga game. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like anime, but oh yeah, Utamaro, and I know I'm probably butchering his name, but it's like lovers in the upstairs tea room. Love it's, is in the upstairs. And where did you see it? It's it's. I remember seeing this. Like, oh yeah, yeah, it's yeah. It's such a beautiful oh. piece. But if you zoom in. I don't know if I can get it with the screen. You see his eyes? Do you see that? It's like this, such no, a subtle... Else? I don't know if you can sell with the screen grab, but it's just like... I oh, love yeah. this thing, like a story within a story images. And these prints were ubiquitous in Japan, you know, and, and how, like, everyone could buy them, right? Like, they were, like, the equivalent of comics that people would just get, like, the newspaper or something. And so this idea that these shunga, which are very kind of, like, erotic pieces, but this is so subtle, and it's not explicit at all, and yeah. yet it's this intimate moment. But the lines on this I can see in your work. Yeah, this I'm hugely 17, inspired by this 1788, yeah. circa. Like, they don't know exactly when it is. That's amazing. Because they made so many of them, and, like, some of them are really old and some of them are not. I've always wanted to do And you saw that in the British that. Museum? I think it was either in the museum or I saw it in a catalogue, and I just remember being completely, like, if you look at the, you look at this line, you, you can then. see this line in yeah, her totally, new work. Totally, it's totally, incredible. Totally, yeah. I remember I was in Japan last Kitagawa, year in April, and I saw a Hokusai show oh, yeah. with the Great Wave, yeah, yeah, yeah. and it was incredible seeing. The, I mean, you know, of course we look at these prints and they're so small, but yeah. there's a world in these, like you know, and the, the detail in them. Oh man, I could get lost in like Japanese printmaking. It's incredible. 
it's absolutely incredible. Are they so quite valuable pieces then within like Japanese mm, culture if you were to buy them? Exactly. Right. Like first editions or, or whatever. But so that for the art heist, that would be my... Amazing. That would be well, my... we can help you. That's the British Museum. Yeah. <laughs> we can certainly get you a postcard. Um, the other question we ask is, what is your favourite colour, Toyin? I would have to say the viscous black pen ink that I always use. Cause it's not black all the way. It's like a copper tone when the light hits it. Oh, yeah, so it's beautiful. black that contains darkness and light at the same time. And so I've always, I mean, pen and ink is what started my career. Like Byron, yeah. Right, yeah. So, and it also yeah. changes as it sinks into the page. No? Exactly. And so it, that's it, mercurial in its own way. Yeah, it impresses onto the surface and it creates this sheen when light hits it. Oh, that, so I love this idea that something that could be equal parts or simultaneously really, really dark and really, really light at the same time. Yeah. Wow. I well, went in there. I went oh deep. Oh my God. <laughs> What's the word for that? Isn't there a word for that? Chiara Skuru. I don't Chiara know. I just know it's black pen ink, you know, okay, but yeah. it's, yeah, it's, it's pen ink. No, but I mean light and dark. Oh. Isn't, is it the word Chiara Skuru? There was a song by Paula Cole, who was an American singer songwriter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who did like Where Have the Cowboys Gone? Oh my and God, that song. She wrote a song called Chiara Skuru. And I remember looking up the word and I think it means light and dark at one time or something. That's actually perfect. And yeah. that song, Where Have All the Cowboys Gone, is a bop. I know, I loved her. <laughs> and she did that song about like... But then um, I Don't Want to Wait is like dead to me. Like, no, I'm no, sorry, oh, yeah, Dawson's Creek. Dawson's Creek. No, but the song. album before that, she oh, yeah. had a song. I Don't Want to Wait <laughs> for his life to be <laughs> no. older. Oh my God, here we go. Sing yeah. Um, no, but there's another song she did that was like about a guy that she loves and he has a new girlfriend and oh, he's left her behind yeah. and he's on a motorbike or something. That song used to make me cry. It's really some intense like late 90s. Seriously. <laughs> I'm thinking of Dawson's Creek. Have you been watching Pose? Listen, Dawson is in it. <laughs> Dawson's in it playing a complete bastard. Yes. Oh, I hate Dawson now. But then that's the thing I love about like all of these characters now that we've known. Like yeah. are, Pose is such an amazing show. Amazing. I, I sob so... every single episode. Oh. I am sobbing oh. my heart out. Billy and, Porter is a god. Everybody and in that Mark is a directing god. Directing and writing. I mean, just it's such a oh, it's such an important. India Moore, God, goddess, yes, just yes. like obsessed and they so important. Everyone and... there, everyone there. And the fact that they are really calling attention to stories that like, you know, like what I do, just mm. something that shows the humanity of people and the layers of that humanity. Mm. It's so important for people to see now, yeah. definitely. Well, talking about humanity, my teenage crush was Pacey out of Dawson's <laughs> Creek. Joshua Jackson. I've just revealed that to the world. Wow. And along with uh, Joaquin Phoenix, Ooh. they were my two. They were my two guys. They were oh, my guys. Snap. Good choices. Simon was Keanu, man. Really? See, Honey. everyone used to love him. Yeah. Still, yeah, we no, still no, love no, him. No, no, Come no. on. We were kids. I remember everyone going on about him, and I never really got it. I don't think I was old enough yet to quite understand what everyone was talking about. I yeah. quite like Bruce but, Willis. Yeah. Bruce really? Willis. I know. In Die Hard, in the, wa- be in the white I vest. Like I want to be Bruce Willis in the white vest, like running around. Oh, I loved oh it. God, totally he was bomb Russell in Fifth, Fifth Element. Mm. So I can mm. see it. I can see it. I can see it. So um, <laughs> thank you so much for coming on Talk Art. Thank From you. From the bottom of my heart, me. we are like so grateful. <laughs> yeah, that you God, this has been an amazing gift. You have this incredible like show about to be finished, and you came to meet us. No, I'm honored. Thank you. We wish you all the luck in the world for that, and we love you, Dylan. Thank you. You're the shit. Thank you. And you're the real deal. <laughs> Thank and it's you. brilliant to have you here. So for everyone listening, we're going to be posting images of every artwork we've been discussing in this episode on our Instagram at TalkArt. And you can visit Toyin's Instagram and please follow, at which is at Toyin Oji Odutola. 
one Beautiful. word. <laughs> All one word. And um, we'll be back very soon. Thanks, everyone. Thank Thanks, you. Thank you. Bye. Bye. <laughs> You've been listening to Talk Art with Robert Diamant and Russell Tovey. Follow us on Instagram at Talk Art, where you can view images of all artworks discussed in this episode. Subscribe to Talk Art at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com